0: This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. First of, I, I want to extend a warm welcome to everyone and uh, to our church here, St Mark's. A warm welcome to you, and especially to my, my family who have come from New Zealand and uh, they're here. They're sitting in the back. Is that's you know that's what cool people do. They sit in the back of church. And uh, an extension to friends of Liana and myself, thank you for coming and sharing uh, this special time. It's so special, and I feel very humbled that I I get to yak on about a subject matter that I'm so passionate about. And so um, I'm excited about that to share with you. I'm going to pray for God's help, and then I'm going to go into the passage in which we're going to look at today. Father God, I am your instrument. I belong to you, Lord Have me speak what you want me to speak, Lord. May you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord. Give me courage. Amen. Jesus knows so intimately the human soul. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, uh, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus is just pinpointing exactly that whatever you hold dear to your heart. Uh, basically, that's going to be the treasure of your life. Whatever we hold dear and close to ourselves, that's what, that's what we're going to treasure in our lives. We're going to dedicate all of our time towards that. We're going to expend all of our energy to, to, towards what it is that we treasure so closely. And for myself, I have particular heroes. My heroes are not sporting stars. Uh, they're not academics. Uh, they're not movie stars. But they're people from the Bible. And in particular Apostle Paul like I've been given this privilege to talk about Apostle Paul in this particular passage and I just kind of feel like we've been walking side by side me and Apostle Paul and he's like this giant of the faith and and every time I hang out with him he just shows me this grand vision of the Christian life and I almost feel embarrassed to be even called a Christian next to him but you see this is the, the beautiful thing about Apostle Paul is he doesn't make you feel that way. In fact, after walking with him through my studies and, 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 and just prayer life, is that I feel refreshed, I feel energized. I feel like I have a fresh vision of the whole Christian life. You see, because the treasure for, for Paul is God, the passion of his life. Think about it. Why is he so passionate? And the reason why is because his conversion to Christianity is so dramatic. Dramatic is his conversion. Let me tell you, this is a guy, his name was Saul. His job, his his treasure was to kill Christians. And so he's on the road to Damascus. And he has an encounter with the living Lord Jesus. Why do you persecute me, Saul? Why? Who are you, Lord? It is me, Jesus. Jesus. And he's blinded for three days and he's led to Damascus. And he's sitting in there, he's blind for three days. Imagine that, for three days. You get to think, what the heck is going on? I've been persecuting this Jesus, yet he's the, he's the Lord. So he's sitting in there and, and meanwhile, just down the road, there's a guy called Ananias, he's a disciple. He gets a vision from God. And the vision that God gives Ananias is this. I want you to go to this place in Damascus and I want you to lay hands on Saul. I love this. Ananias says, "Oh God, hang on. Are you sure? Do you you know who that guy is? He's like Osama bin Laden. And you're telling me to go over there and put my hands on him? No, surely not. You see, this is the intimate way in which God works. He... He often chooses people like this. Yeah. Shocking. That's the story. And so Ananias, he's walking down the road. He's probably thinking, oh, oh, I hope he doesn't kill me. I hope God's not wrong about this. And one of the most beautiful scenes that is described in Acts chapter 9 is that Paul walks in. Oh, no, sorry. Ananias walks in and he lays his hands on Saul and he says, brother. I just think to myself, and in the Greek it's Adelphos. And it's like, whoa. It's like, brother, straight away. You see, he's so compelled because the redemption that was in Paul's life is so dramatic that he makes it the absolute centerpiece of his life to tell people. This is a message. That he just wants to tell people he wants to tell them this message he wants to reach all people now we had read to us 1 corinthians chapter 9 verses 19 to 24 and there's a section there where paul says i'm reaching out to everybody that is the business of my life i am going to tell everybody whether you're a jew or whether you're a gentile whether you worship lots of gods i want to tell you about jesus One of the most interesting things in looking at this passage is that Paul himself is Jewish. He's a Jewish who's come in touch with the Messiah, Jesus. And he's in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. His attitude is this. Cut me off, God, that they may know the Christ, the real Christ. Cut me off, seriously, cut me off. Because to them the commandments they have the commandments they've seen the miracles they have the laws of Moses. And Paul's attitude is kind of confronting because I don't think I have the same sort of attitude. I'm not like cut me off, Lord, so that so and so can be in the kingdom. I'm like, no, I, I want to go to heaven. Oh, I, 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 I want life after death. I want, I want all those things. I want all those. I'm a bit greedy. You are, you are allowed to laugh, okay? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 17, he says he's been entrusted with a commission. You know what that's like to live life with purpose? He's got a purpose. And his purpose, he's entrusted. He's not doing this because he's forced to. He's not doing this because, you know, somehow it's going to make him look good in the community. He's compelled, friends. He's compelled by the love of God. And this is one of the main reasons why Paul is able to enter into different people's lives. He enters into their world, into their reality. He can relate to them. He doesn't change, though. He doesn't lower his standards, but he presents to all different types of people a different reality. I want to illustrate this whole entering into people's lives and presenting a different reality. Before I came to have faith in Christ, I I can look back now. There were a few years there where I could distinctively see where God had placed certain people in my life. It was kind of like just sowing seeds into my life. And one time I was playing football uh, at uh, St. George Illawarra, just in the reserve grade, and I couldn't even make the team, right? And so they kicked me out and said, go out to Goulburn and play. And I'm like, Goulburn? I'm from New Zealand, man. I'm like, I'm better than Goulburn. Off to Goulburn, sorry. So. So I'm there, I'm there at Goulbin, and I'm playing football for Goldwyn, but it's not enough money to live off, so I've got to work, OK? And and so if you're unqualified like myself, you get to work at the abattoir, OK? So I'm working at the abattoir, and there's just like lines of sheep coming down. You think, you should be all right with that Philly, because you're Kiwi, right? I know that's what you're thinking. But anyway, I did not like what I was doing, because what I was doing was I was tearing out tenderloins from inside sheep, right? And I was so bored. I was like, is this what my life has come to? Wow. This is, I hope no one's here that knows me. Anyway, I was doing such a bad job. They said, mate, you're you're pretty terrible at this. Head out to the packing area. So I'm there, I'm packing boxes, okay? <laughs> and I'm next to this guy and he's just got a big smile on his face. And I'm like, what the heck are you smiling for? Do you know where we are? He goes, yeah, sure. And so, anyway, we spent about eight hours that day just together, and um, I later found out that he's a Christian, and that didn't shock me. I was like, "Yeah, cool, you're a pretty happy guy, obviously filled with the Spirit, and uh, said all the, you know, the right things." And uh, he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian," and that didn't shock me. But it was what he said next. He said, "I'm married." I said, "What? How old are you, dude?" He said, "I'm 21." I said, "You're crazy." You're married at 21. And then his answer to me was so beautiful. He said, if you met my wife, you'd want to marry her as well. And I just thought to myself, I want to come to your church. Because I have never heard of anyone, my age group, 21, talk about a relationship like that. That was like foreign to me. Especially being married at 20. That's like, I want to see what that reality is, right? So that was on the Friday. And then Saturday night, oh, sorry, he asked me, what are you doing on the weekend? I said, mate, I'm out at the Flamingos, which is the big nightclub at uh, Goulburn. <laughs> I was doing my MC Hammer moves for you guys who know what who MC Hammer is. So anyway, Saturday night rolls around. I'm in there doing the MC Hammer, okay? Killing it, killing it. Crowd's going crazy. No, joking. Uh, and, and, and so I'm in there. And the, and the and the and the party comes back to my place. I only had a little two-bedroom unit, and I shared with another footballer. And we were drinking the night away. And basically, I fell asleep on the couch. And all my buddies were around, and all these drink bottles are around everywhere. And um, there's a knock on the door. And I looked, and it was like eight thirty. And I go, "Oh no, it's a guy from the abattoir. He wants to take me to church." So I walk up. I stand at the door, and I look at my life. And I know he's over there, and I know the right thing to do is to open that door. But I don't. I don't. I don't open that door. Now, is that a sad story? No, because three years later, I would give my life to Christ. And he is pivotal in my coming to faith. He doesn't even know that I'm talking about him to people all the time. I don't know what he looks like. I couldn't tell you his name. I know he lives in Goulburn. But in eternity, I'll tell him. I'll tell him, brother, you saved me. You're so loving to share with me a real message at a crucial time in my life. And that's that's what Apostle Paul's life is. You see, these Christians that go out and share the gospel, they're only echoing the heartbeat of God. If you read Apostle Paul's letters, his His epistles are just filled with love. It's like, I love you guys. I pray for you. If you're struggling, man, I'm going to pray for God's strength for you. He's just constantly being spent on others. He's so reckless in the way he loves. We would say, Paul, set up some boundaries, man. There's no boundaries with Paul. There's absolutely no boundaries with Paul. And that's, that's really, really sort of confronting for me because when he was sharing the message he was he was he was sharing the message in, in a time when the greater part of the world hated Christianity and I mean that hated Christianity they hated this message and he's there and he's preaching this kind of message to people he's not watering it down he is preaching it for real and he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 11 to 13 let me just read it for you. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat. We have become and still like the scum of the world the refuse of all things. They considered the scum of the world. I think to myself, it's probably not a good career move to be a Christian back in those days. Probably not the best idea if you want to advance in society to be a Christian back in those days. But I ask myself, why Paul? Why were you so passionate? Why? And it's because it goes back to Matthew chapter 6 verse 21. What's his treasure? What's his treasure? God. And he'll do anything and everything in the pursuit of God and his kingdom. You see, I understand now why he had faith that had wings, that was like eagles that could soar. That could soar above all hardships, all persecution. I understood because his treasure was Jesus. And it's actually supernatural. I don't think Paul ever says, I'm a guru. Hey, everyone, follow me. I'm really strong. No, he says I'm weak. But yet, in my weakness, God's power is perfected. It's powerful stuff. Powerful. See, I believe Paul could do all that great miraculous work for one word he was secure. Let me say that again. He could do all that work because he was secure. Have you ever been around a person that's insecure? It's awful. You're always having to pull them up. But that's okay, because you know what? The world is like that. I'm insecure. I can't lift myself up, friends. I'm not that strong. And so the source of Paul and my faith is God. And the reason why he feels secure is, number one, he knows he's forgiven. He's forgiven. The other thing is that he's sealed with the Holy Spirit. Christianity is not a bunch of rules that you follow. It's supernatural. The Holy Spirit changes your heart. You become a new creation. You're new. You can't force this. You can't manufacture this. You're either Christian or you're not. You're either filled with the Spirit or you're not. You can't play along with this. It's not playing games. It's definitely not playing games for Paul. Paul. He risks his life for this. So he's forgiven, he's sealed by the Holy Spirit, and the last one, he's part of God's family. And you're sitting there right now going, Oh, that sounds so lovely, Philly. I've heard all that before. I've been in many sermons, and yes, I feel very secure. But I want to be quite blunt with this. If you get this, if you get this security, there is just amazing joy. That can be had with the Lord. I want to illustrate this, okay? Because not that you guys—you guys are very smart people—but I like illustrations, okay? And I'm going to illustrate this security, and I, I need a helper. Michael, come on. <laughs> so I—I—I I, I, I kind of see, um, sort of like all the promises of God for an individual Christian, like security blankets, okay? And so the first security blanket is basically that I'm forgiven. I am forgiven for everything. And I want to ask God, how much does that cost? It's for free. That's the first security blanket. It's like, I want to put this first security blanket on. There you go. The second security blanket is that I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. What? Okay. I feel like Elvis Presley. So I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit, okay? That means that I'm a new creation. Something internally in me has changed. My affections, my will, my desires are now for God. Why? Because He's implanted His Spirit inside of me. And the last security blanket is I'm part of the coolest family in the world God's family. (laughs) I'm part of God's family. Now how secure do I feel? I feel so secure. Anyway, that's my illustration of the blend. And you get yeah, the illustration. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about something totally flippant, okay? And I want to share with you that when I was 18, my mum passed away dramatically, like just... Heart attack, bang, gone. With me one day, then gone the other. It's like, what the heck is going on? And you you get real philosophical at those times when death happens. And I just started asking as an 18-year-old, is this it? Is this it? Really? Is this it? And all my friends and that said, yeah, man. Eat, drink and be merry. Tick off everything on your bucket list. But it sounds really good. But I wasn't satisfied with that. I just, I just wasn't because I, I would look at other people who were living that sort of way and it was sad. It's just sad. I'm not satisfied by that. Yet the world wants to tell me, no, Philly, that's all there is to life eat, drink and be merry, play, work, enjoy your life, and then die. The famous English journalist Malcolm Mudridge, he writes about the self-destruction of the 20th century Western man. And I find his words quite prophetic. It has become abundantly clear in the second half of the 20th century that Western man has decided to abolish himself. Having wearied of the struggle to be himself, he has created his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own impotence out of his own erotomania, his own vulnerability out of his own strength himself blowing the trumpet that brings the walls of his own city tumbling down, and in the process of auto-genocide, convincing himself that he is too numerous and laboring, according with pill and scalpel and syringe, to make himself fewer in order to be an easier prey for his enemies. Until at last, having educated himself into imbecility, And polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction, he kneels over a weary, battered old brontosaurus and becomes extinct. And you telling me, yeah, Philly, isn't that positive? No. It's sad. It's incredibly sad. I love the movie... Braveheart, I like any of those kinds of movies, right? Maybe that's the way I'm wired, okay? And in Braveheart, he's calling people to a higher ideal. He's calling people to freedom. Souls that were scared all of a sudden have courage to do something radical, different, to fight for something. And I feel like that, that apostle Paul has the same sort of war cry for all believers. And that is, if Christ is not risen from the dead, go eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But no, he says, you fool. Are you so stupid? Jesus is alive. He is resurrected. This is not the end of the road, my friends. This is only the beginning. Of a whole new reality i finish my talk because paul kind of puts on his personal trainer jacket now <laughs> and he i'll read it for you in 1 corinthians chapter 9 he he describes life like this he says it's like a race run run with purpose and who are you running into run to christ he is the author and the finisher of your faith, he will make sure that you get to the very end. But Paul has got a disclaimer. He says, guys, man, discipline yourselves. Because your life, how we live right now, matters for eternity. It matters. It really matters. My encouragement for all of us, friends, is that the race, at the end of the race, is standing Christ. And before him is a whole host of witnesses that you can't even number in eternity. They are cheering you on to the very end. And that is my encouragement to you, friends. Run to Christ. Fix your eyes on him. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Marks.